0: Good morning, church. Happy Thanksgiving week to you. I trust that you look forward to a week with friends, uh, family, loved ones around the table, a week of reflection on gratitude and the many good gifts that we have been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's say our memory verse for the month of November together Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Mark thirteen thirty-one. Very good. Next uh, week already. We're into the last week of November. And then here we go, right into December. So, uh, what a time. And we've been going through Mark's Gospel together. I've enjoyed this. I've always uh, really enjoyed going through the Gospels. Uh, years back, we spent some time in the Gospel of John. And here we've uh, spent time together through the fall in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark's gospel, he's introduced us to Jesus as the suffering servant Savior. And inasmuch, the first hearers and recipients of Mark's gospel would have been comforted to know that their Savior could identify with them as they were suffering. And in this fast-paced gospel account, the word immediately has been used to move us through the short and frenzied ministry life of Jesus. The gospel has, uh, over time, throughout its content, highlighted the role of the lowly as they confound the wise. Those who would have been culturally perceived as weak are consistently, in Mark's gospel, elevated above the proud. Mark's gospel has also revealed much of Jesus' teachings related to true discipleship, especially discipleship in the face of trial, persecution, and suffering. And as we've studied Mark's gospel account, Jesus has frequently demonstrated, encouraged even, dependence on the Father through patterns of prayer, through steadfast obedience, which he describes as remaining watchful and alert. And reflecting on a point of application that we've considered, the follower of Jesus is found clinging to the Savior as they're constantly growing in their awareness of the righteousness associated with the kingdom of God, actively and faithfully looking for ways to participate in God's right-making work today. And as a result, disciples of Jesus are prompted towards many behaviors and attitudes. We're prompted towards repentance. Repentance from the systems of this world in particular. Systems that are centered or built on power, on prestige, on pride. Turning instead to the ways that Jesus has clearly established and demonstrated through his example in this gospel. Ways that include utter dependence on God. Ways that we have seen Jesus demonstrate through humility, through sacrificial love, through His service and hospitality, through faithful obedience in suffering. Words that could be perhaps summed up in the central instruction that's found within this gospel message where Jesus says, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And friends, this is a call, as we've discovered, that one cannot bear lightly. We watch Messiah not bearing this call lightly, but rather very literally. And so the disciple today, then, is now aware of the ways that Jesus was faithful in his suffering, And we're also aware that his ways are incompatible with the ways of this world. And due to the collision of values, those who follow Jesus today are going to experience their own measure of suffering in this world. Last week, we concluded in Mark chapter 15, where after his own suffering, Jesus had died. He's buried, the tomb is sealed. And if this was the end, Mark's gospel message might leave us cold, dark, even with a feeling of emptiness. But we know, and we celebrate and rejoice today, that there is yet one more chapter to behold. Amen? Doesn't end in Mark 15. Thankfully, we turn the page and we find the resurrection account in Mark chapter 16. Today, we will learn that for disciples of Jesus, beyond the sufferings of this world, is life upon life, glory upon glory. And today's text answers a question that is just as important for the church today as it was to the earliest congregations long ago What is our enduring hope in the midst of suffering? If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Mark chapter 16, we're going to re- be reflecting on the first eight verses of Mark 16 today. So Mark 16, 1 to 8, we're going to read all of those verses together and then take some time to study and reflect on them as a congregation this morning. Before we do, let's ask the Lord to help us in our time of study. Father, it's in the quiet moments where we can be thankful to reflect and to remember that you are our home. And that as your children abide in you, And dwell in you, in your ways, in your person. That you are faithful to be with us. And to give us what we need for each and every day. Today, Father, what we need, this daily bread that you have given us, is an account of the resurrection of your son Jesus. Such an occasion for the church to rejoice. That there is life, that there is hope, that there is glory in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the hard things, the deep things that we face in this space. The reminder that for the one who follows you, there is life and life and life everlasting. As we go into your text today and accompany its words, I pray that you would go with us in a powerful way that you would deliver to each person who's gathered today exactly what they need through the power of your spirit to change our hearts, transform our minds, and take us from this place motivated to love, to shine, and to serve you for your glory. ...in the places you plan us this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark 16... ...verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed... ...Mary Magdalene and Mary... ...the mother of James and Salome... ...bought spices... ...so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week... ...when the sun had risen... ...they went to the tomb... who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples, even Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid sabbath ends when the sun sinks below the landscape on saturday evenings this is early sunday morning as we open chapter 16 and on their way to the tomb it's still dark the women who are coming they have one purpose in mind they want to anoint jesus's body with spices to keep it from the odor of death in his death His faithful followers were still seeking to serve Him. Having demonstrated the ultimate act of service and sacrifice Himself, Jesus was not above being served by those who He came to seek and to save. The women who are coming, they anticipate two realities. One they had planned for, encountering the corpse of Jesus... The other, they had not yet planned for. There is an obstacle and a question. Who will remove the large stone in front of the tomb? And as they arrive at the tomb, the sun is rising and unbeknownst to them, the sun has risen. God had moved in a mighty and miraculous way. The women's expectations we're about to be shattered. And from the beginning of the resurrection narrative, we learn that God's power and work will often go far beyond anything we anticipate, expect, or imagine. Here they are, in the midst of a very difficult place. These women had just watched in the previous chapter the Savior of the world suffer, bleed, and and die. They had bore witness to it all. And in the midst of their grief and suffering and trial, this reality is a hope that motivates the endurance to continue. The women are coming in mourning. They have not yet anticipated that the stone would already have been rolled away suffering as they walk together through the valley of the shadow of death they expect to come to the tomb and minister to the lifeless body of messiah and in the resurrection narrative god shatters the anticipations and expectation of jesus followers with the full mystery and glory of abundant life it is not death that these faithful women are going to find in the tomb on that hopeful morning. Rather, they enter the tomb only to encounter supernatural life. Look at verse 5 again. Then as they went into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. When what we anticipate is not as we expect it to be, often our response is one of alarm, surprise, shock, even sometimes fear. I love Matthew's account. Do you remember Matthew's account? Suddenly, there was a severe earthquake for the angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled the stone away and then did what? Sat right on on that stone. Almost as if to symbolize that death had been put under foot. Back in Mark's Gospel, the writer records that as the women enter the tomb, the angel is sitting on the right side. And this designation, perhaps again, is another symbol pointing to power and authority. Throughout our gospel, we've been introduced to our Messiah as a suffering servant who truly sees, who truly knows, and who truly understands the conditions of our hearts. He sees through the outward behaviors to the fears that lie deep within us, and he offers healing, the balm of life and light. And as it turns out, as we discover here in verses 5 and 6, the angels also have an ability to recognize the condition of those in their presence. The angels' first task here is to be a presence of peace. To put the women at ease. They're afraid. What do we do at night when one of our children has a nightmare and comes running into our room? go away that's my flesh sorry (laughs) my wife is so much gentler than me (laughs) let me pray with you why you want to calm that fear alleviate that fear And the angel's first task here at the tomb is to put the women at ease to assure them that everything is more than okay. For those feeling scared, confused, even hopeless today, the angel's message is filled with hope for eternity. Verse 6, but he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's been raised. He is not here. Look, there's the place where they laid him. First, he calms them with familiar words. These words do not be alarmed. They are words that would have been known by those with Jewish heritage. Words from the father in the Old Testament when he visited their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and later Moses, and even the prophets. Do not be alarmed. Words that the angel had even spoken to Mary before she had conceived. Words that soothe and calm. Words that communicate that these women had truly been seen. Do not be alarmed. Then, after the angel accurately identifies how they feel, he moves to identify that he also knows who exactly they were looking for. And as we consider what the angel is doing here for a moment, could we consider how comforting his words and behaviors were to the women who were present and how we might use a similar pattern of words and attitudes with those that God brings into our lives even today. How comforting are those words to just see, to just name it. I see you are alarmed. I see you're confused, I see that you're scared, it's okay. You're looking for Jesus in the midst of all of this that's happening in your life. You're looking for Jesus in the midst of this tragic loss. You're looking for Jesus in the midst of this difficult situation going on at your work. You're looking for Jesus in the midst of this really hard and difficult thing that's happening at school. You're looking for Jesus in the midst of this really confusing thing that's happening in your family. He is alive. He's present. He's available to you. He can help you. He can meet and guide you along this path. He's with you in the turmoil. He's with you in the trauma. He's with you in the confusion. Jesus the Nazarene, the one who was crucified, that same Jesus has now been raised. The divine passive is used here in the Greek suggesting that this truly was the power of God at work. Not a lifeless body in the tomb. Jesus is on the move. He's to be counted among the living, not the dead. Friends, what a hopeful and life-giving message to anyone who is seeking Jesus in and through dark and desperate circumstances. The same power that conquered the grave is alive, present, and active in those who claim the name of Jesus. He lives in me. He lives in you. Amen? This is a message. Resurrection is a message that will change the course of human history. It is a gospel that will forever transform the world. It's a message that's so bright and powerful that it simply cannot be contained. It must be shared. And so the angel's final task is to send the women along with a new mission. To take this good news... And to share it with those who needed to hear it the most. Their task remains the task of the whole church today. To take the gospel of hope, the message of resurrection, freedom from the shackles of sin, power over the sting of death, and to spread that message throughout the world to those who need to hear it. Look at verse 7. But go. Tell his disciples. Even Peter. That he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Now I don't know about you, but after last week when we're looking at this passage and studying it and reflecting on it, there are two words in this verse that strike me. Do they strike you? The one who needed to hear this message the most, where he was right now, on the coattails of three denials of Jesus... Living in that shame? Could this message be good news even for the one who had denied Messiah? There are scholars who believe that Peter contributed to much of Mark's content. And they point to this special reference as one reason why they believe it to be so. This along with the reality that Peter and Mark appear in other texts to be friendly companions who often traveled together. Friends, the gospel is good news for everyone. Period. Even for those who have experienced or are experiencing a feeling of dread or failure. For the one who wishes they could just go back and make everything right. For the one who feels as if they need a do-over. For the one who is wallowing, as Peter was, in suffering that follows the shame of falling short. For the one who is broken with nowhere else to go but to the water, boat, net, and rod to drown their failures in a sea of comfort and familiarity. Where did Peter go? To the boat, to what was comfortable, to what was familiar. Here's the good news for all of us today who can identify with Peter, and I am one. Jesus has made everything right between us and God. He took care of our do over, and He did it better than we could ever have done it ourselves. And Jesus' righteousness and His holiness is laid over us. And when God looks at us, He sees not our shame, not our denials, not our guilt, not our failures or shortcomings. Instead, He sees Jesus, our living and resurrected Lord. He looks at us through the lens of Jesus. It is Jesus who took our shame. It is Jesus who took our sin. It is Jesus who took our guilt to the cross and then the grave and laid lifeless with it in the tomb until God said, Enough is enough. Sin conquered. Death no longer has dominion. By God's power, Jesus risen. From the dead. So, Peter, you too rise, get up, be free, and live victorious. I'm Peter, friends. I need this message. And I suspect that in this room or watching online is an audience of Peter's who also need it. If we remember, we've shared this before, the characters of the scriptures are there as mirrors. They're not there for us to look at and say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that person. If we do that, friends, we've missed the point of why they're there. They're there to reflect back to us all of ourselves. This because God cares. We say this book is living and active, and it is. He cares. He loves us so much. He wants us to see that He knows us. And one of the ways that we see that God knows us is by reading about these characters who share in the same sufferings and share in the same shortcomings and failures that we still share in today. God made us. And as the one who knit us together, who formed us in our mother's wombs, he knows everything about us. He knows we are just like those who have gone before us. So he gives us examples to learn from, to identify with, to aspire to sometimes, often one in the same character. Think of David. How many wonderful things do we look at in David's life and say, oh, if I could just live like that. And then how many things do we look at in David's life and say, oh no, 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 not that. One in the same character. Qualities to follow, qualities to repent of. There is only one perfect character in our history. And none of us are him. And when we belong to Christ, God sees us through the lens of Jesus. And in Jesus, we are whole and complete. The gospel of resurrection is the hope-filled message of Jesus with implications related to our eternal, future, complete, renewal, restoration, and redemption. Some of which we see dimly today. One day we will know and experience them fully, completely. And as the women leave the tomb, the promise is that Jesus has gone ahead of them back to Galilee. And that they would soon see him just as he had said, he had promised that back in Mark chapter 14 to his disciples. And why not Galilee? It is Galilee that was the very place that Jesus first announced that he would turn his disciples into fishers of men. All the way back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes to his disciples in Galilee, and he tells them in Galilee, I will make you fishers of men. Of men. And Galilee would now become the place where he would restore Peter and tell him to shepherd the sheep. Galilee of the Gentiles would become the place where Jesus would then commission his disciples to take the gospel of peace into all of the world in Matthew chapter 28. And to go with the promise that he would always be with them to the end of the age. A great hope that we can still cling to today as believers, as livers and proclaimers of the resurrection is the hope that Jesus is still going with us and before us to prepare others to hear and receive this message of hope. A good friend of mine, a mentor, says you never know how Jesus might be using you today, right where you're at, right how you're living, right through what you're saying, to draw someone else to himself, and that is true. Seen it in my life, perhaps some of you've seen it in yours. When years and years later, somebody that you knew long ago comes back and says something along the lines of, you know, back 15 or 20 years ago when we were working together, you said something or you did something that had a profound influence on my life. And that began a journey in which Jesus called me to himself and I gave my life to him. But I often think back to that moment, that act, that word that you spoke to me in that place. This new resurrection reality first moves the women to fear. Verse 8 says that terror and bewilderment seize them. I think it would seize all of us, yes? (laughs) Going into a tomb, expecting to see something that is not there, but instead there's this bright shining angel talking to us. Terror and bewilderment is understandable. And it's interesting because there's a contrast here for the rest of Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel has regularly invited us into spaces where Jesus told his disciples or the people he healed to be silent about his identity. And what did they do anyway? Right? He said, hey, don't tell anybody about this. And then what do we see in the very next sentence? They went and told everybody. But here the opposite is happening. Yes? And angels told the women to be vocal about the resurrection truth. And in their fear and confusion, they were moved initially to silence. Fleeing the tomb, they don't say a word to anyone until they are present with the disciples. John 20, verse 18, reveals one of the first, if not the first, recorded resurrection proclamation where Mary Magdalene came and informed the disciples I have seen the Lord and she told them what Jesus has said to her what tremendous hope friends what tremendous hope for those who face the most difficult circumstances that this world has to offer I have seen the Lord friends On my best days, I cling to this message. Its power and effect carry me through the peaks and the valleys of being a father and a pastor and a son and a husband a community member, a co-worker, professor, or whatever other title someone gives me. These things aren't easy. These titles that we carry, friends, they're not easy. They aren't meant to be here. On this side of eternity. Jesus asks us. For faithfulness. One steady step today. Another unsteady step tomorrow. Perhaps a step backwards the next day. And then three steps forward. The day after. We just hold on to this message. And keep going. I Have seen the Lord. Somebody said to me one time. How can you say that? How can you say you've seen the Lord? You haven't seen him. Which I said I have. And I do. All the time. I see him in the kind words that are spoken from a mentor when I'm at my lowest place. I see him in the many hands that came together to deliver meals, to bring gifts, to help lift up and encourage when we were walking through a really difficult season in our life. I see him in the church on Sunday morning when I stand in the back and I look forward towards the front of the sanctuary and I see all of you caring for one another, praying for each other, surrounding one another, holding one another's up, carrying one another's burdens. I see him on Wednesday night back in this room when the body of Christ comes together to pray and to bear one another's burdens in love. I see him early Sunday morning as volunteers give up their time to get up very early, oftentimes before the sun, and come to this building to open the doors, to get the sound ready and the technology to prepare the team up front to lead in worship. I have seen the risen Lord and I see him every single day. And it keeps me going. I see him in the gentle response of my wife when my children are driving me crazy. <laughs> it's almost like I hear him. And I say to her, how can you respond like that? And I'm the pastor. So many Times in my life when I've suffered and struggled and stumbled without answers to things that were happening and a person reached out through phone or text and said can I get together and pray with you and we've sat in a restaurant and cried together as we prayed I've seen the Lord Paul wrote a letter to Christians in Rome you want to go ahead and turn to Romans 8, this is tremendous. Many of these same Christians that Paul was writing to would have been among the early hearers of Mark's gospel. They would have been familiar with the content of Mark's gospel. They would have known of the suffering and persecution that the first hearers of Mark's gospel would have been introduced to. Paul knew the persecutions that they were facing at the hands of Rome. And the Roman Empire, he himself was facing tremendous turmoil and persecution. And he penned these words. I want to read from 18 to 25 first. You can just listen if you want to. So powerful. So reflective. For I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with Endurance. Friends, the resurrection message is filled with the hope that we need to keep going. To keep pressing forward. To keeping our eyes on Jesus while we walk in love with those He's placed around us. And as we extend the love of Jesus to others, we are not to expect or anticipate that it's always going to be reciprocated or received or returned. As we might desire. We hurt one another sometimes. We let one another down sometimes. And as the church faced persecution then, it faces persecution today as well. In some parts of the world, in terrible ways, it faces persecution. When we're hurting one another... When we're dividing, when we're leading with pride and hostility above peace and unity, when we're not walking in love, when we let one another down. What does Paul conclude? Look at verse 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is the one who will condemn? Christ is the one who died. And more than that, he was raised. Who was at the right hand of God and who was also interceding for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Now look at the list. Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake we encounter death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. And now before we read verse 7, what I'm hearing in my mind is the words of the angel. Do not be alarmed. All of these things. Verse 37, no. In all of these things, we have complete victory. Through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What powerful resurrection hope we have nothing on this world can separate our team is going to come to lead us again and as they come just a moment to share again the gospel that jesus the promised messiah came into the world as god had promised he lived faithfully obediently Without sin, he took upon himself the sin of the world. He went to the cross. He died on the cross, taking the death, the penalty that we deserved. Went to the tomb. Was buried three days in the tomb. And rose again, defeating death once and for all. That same Christ offers you life today. He is for you. He is available to you. And if you are here today in this building, or you're listening online, and you have not confessed Jesus as Lord, repented, turned from your sin, and believed in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, that you can pray those words today, that you can know in your heart today that Jesus is your Lord, that God has raised him from the dead, and you too can experience life everlasting with the Father. You too can faithfully walk as cross-bearing disciples, carrying, living, and proclaiming the message, I have seen the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these resurrection realities. We thank you that your son Jesus conquered death. By your power at work through him, you raised him from the dead. And now, Lord, he inhabits those who follow him in a powerful way, in an effective way, causing us to be salt and light in the communities that you place us in. Lord, we want to be faithful. Father, if there are any here that are listening today, that have not confessed that you are Lord and believed in your heart that you raised Jesus from the dead, I pray today would be their day of salvation. Today would be the day that they would come to truly know and believe that you are Lord and that you deserve our life and our love and in return you give us life and love everlasting. In this season of thanksgiving, Lord, Let us remember to be thankful for the most wonderful truth that any of us could ever proclaim, Christ risen. In Jesus' name, amen.